Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Eat Local New York podcast. I am your host. My name is Anthony Tringale. And uh, this episode of the podcast is a pretty special one. It's called Dinner with the Candidates. And at least that's what I'm calling this two-part podcast slash video series. Uh, slash video because, you know, with all of our stuff, we record video and upload those videos over to our YouTube channel. You can find us there at Eat Local New York. And, um, you know, today's episode, which you're going to be listening to, is a conversation I had with uh, Counselor Khalid Bay, who is running for the position of mayor of the city of Syracuse. We started this, I think I've talked about it before, but we started this series four years ago before we did the podcast and we were doing a weekly blog. And four years ago, when there was another race for the mayor of Syracuse, I decided, you know, it was really the first time I ever took an interest in local politics. And so I decided to reach out to as many of the candidates as I could to go out. I took them out to dinner at the time uh, that year. Astor Pantry was in business in Armory Square. So we went there. And I sat down and had dinner with um, most of the people running and got to know them, talked to them, asked them a bunch of questions, and then I went home and wrote blogs about them. And that was before the primaries. There's still a lot of people uh, running for office. And this year we're doing it really close to the election. I mean, I'm recording this on Tuesday, um, October 26th. A week from today is election day. Now early voting is open. Uh, and so you can go out to your local polling place and, and go cast your vote early. But Election Day is next Tuesday. And I've purposely waited until it got really close to the end. Uh, there weren't a whole heck of a lot of people running like there was four years ago. But this year, really, you know, forgive me, Janet, if you're listening to this. Um, there's really two people running for office. And that is um, current mayor of Syracuse, Mayor Ben Walsh, who I'm actually meeting with to have dinner with this evening as I'm recording this. And uh, Khalid Bay, Counselor Khalid Bay, who I met with yesterday. Uh, so um, I asked each candidate. I contacted their offices. They agreed to to sit down with me. I asked each one where they wanted to go uh, to eat, and Counselor Bay suggested and asked to go to Strong Hearts because he is a vegetarian. And um, uh, Mayor Walsh said that I could choose, so I chose a mono. Uh, but uh, Counselor Bay and I went to Strong Hearts and had coffee and sat for an hour, and a huge thank you to Strong Hearts for letting us commandeer an entire portion of their dining room to record that episode, uh, this episode. But anyways, we sat down, and uh, Counselor Bay and I just, just talked, and that's really the intention of uh, with these things, is, is for me to get to know these two men and uh, learn more about them and, and what makes them tick and why they believe what they believe and and why they feel that they should lead in the way that they're planning on leading. And uh, I've got a couple of specific questions, but for the most part, I don't have anything planned. I'm just going in there to talk to them and see if I can learn more about them. And, and really what I'm thinking is, who should I vote for? Um, you know, and, and I'm trying to learn more about them so I can make a, an informed decision on who I should vote for. And I, I really hope that people listen to this podcast or watch this video and watch these interviews and that they learn something more. And, you know, it, at the last presidential election, which was, you know, as much of a hot mess as it was, but uh, during the pandemic, I really uh, would go out in the yard and do some yard work every day. And I would listen to Joe Rogan. It's the only time in my life where I had three hours set aside with nothing to do that I could listen to a podcast. 
all at once. And I listened to, and maybe I forget, actually, these interviews happened before the pandemic, I think. Uh, anyways, I think I listened to them during the pandemic. Whatever. I listened to his interviews with Andrew Yang and then Bernie Sanders. And never in a million years would I have ever voted for, especially somebody like Bernie Sanders. But after listening to a three hour conversation and letting him and listening to him fully explain why he believed what he believed and how he thought he would accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, I left that podcast thinking, that's, I can understand this person now. I can understand why they are doing what they're doing, why they think what, you know, how they, why they think what they think. And I probably would have voted for that person if they had run, if they had been elected. Um, uh, if they won the primary. And that's kind of my hope with this, with, with this conversation today. Is my hope is that someone who's listening to this, uh, who doesn't know anything about Counselor Bay, may listen to this conversation and say to themselves, you know what, um, I am either more solidified in my vote for Mayor Walsh or I'm, I'm, I'm more solidified in my vote for Counselor Bay or, you know, now I, I'm going to vote for him. Or maybe you're listening to this because, listen, voter turnout for these off-year elections is so incredibly low and it's unfortunate to say the least. And so maybe you're going to listen to this podcast and maybe you don't live in Syracuse, but maybe you're going to go vote in, you know, the area of the world or the country that you live in. Uh, and so I hope that that happens. Or maybe you do live in Syracuse and you're, you've never voted before, but you're going to now. I hope that that happens as well. At the very least, I just hope that you listen to this man's perspective and uh, on how to lead and how to run the city of Syracuse, and you walk away with something, as I did from my conversation with him. Well, I'm not going to take up any more time. I'm going to let Counselor Bay do the talking, and uh, make sure you come back tomorrow. This is coming out on Wednesday morning. Make sure you come back tomorrow morning, Thursday, to see and hear my interview with Mayor Ben Walsh. Well, without further ado, here's my conversation with Counselor Bay. Well, Councillor Bay, thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate you having me, man. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, That's you fine. too. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, I was thinking back. You know, the first time I met you was, uh, and really the only time that we've like officially met, besides yeah. you know seeing each other in the street or something, was when I was working at Cafe Kubal and you were doing the, uh, you did the podcast there. Yeah, yeah. With Matt, and um, I used to do the research for the guests that were coming in and and get some questions down and. From the time that I was at Cafe Kubal, I was always really impressed by, it just seems like uh, every decision you make is calculated. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, can you tell me, can you tell us a little bit, of, what's your favorite drink that you get at Cafe Kubal? My favorite drink yeah. is the large almond milk chai yeah. with two tablespoons of raw honey. And now why is it that, what, what, like, why do you get that drink? Uh, one, I, you know, I do the raw honey just for health reasons and it tastes great. Yeah. Uh, but it's the best chai I've, I've ever tasted. You know, yeah. I can't duplicate it at home. Right. Uh, and, you know, matter to tell you, I've been drinking the same drink for 10 years now because <laughs> I've been going there the entire time I've been on the council. So that's why. Uh, and if I deviate, they think something's wrong with me. So most times I drink the same same drink. Yeah. Yeah. So it just seemed like every decision, you know, just it's everything's like calculated with you. And I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> I like that a lot. And I'm thinking about a potential leader of, I mean, 
you're already a leader on the council, but thinking about somebody who could be mayor yep. of the city of Syracuse, um, that just seems like a quality that you want to see in, in a candidate and a leader. So. Yeah, you know, even when uh, writing legislation, you know, I think it's very important. It's one thing to, I did, I did no fluff pieces, no disrespect to anyone else over the years. I've always did something that I consider framework changing, something that would be longstanding and it would be very hard to overturn because the people would ultimately be against mm. an effort to overturn those things. So uh, to be able to produce something organic, uh, I always say I like to empower people. I like to see them win. Yeah. Uh, and I think a true uh, sincerity in that respect is you don't even require a thank you. You just like to see people ride off into the sunset and do well. Uh, and that's why I got into government and hopefully I get a chance to do the same thing as mayor. That's awesome. You've been on the council for 11 years? Ten. Ten years. Ten okay. years, yeah. yeah. So what made you first want to run for city council? <laughs> I didn't want to. Uh, that's the funny. You know, I first ran unsuccessfully in 2005. Okay. Uh, and, you know, basically I was a, a constituent like so many others who had concerns about issues, but I had the idea uh, of who better to deal with issues like mine than me. Mm-hmm. And so I ultimately got involved, mm-hmm. got whipped in that election. Uh, <laughs> but, it, you know... Um, I went into elections thinking, I think, as many others do. Oh, you got to get people to like you. You got to, you know. Yeah. I had just published a book titled The Key to Character, yeah. uh, which is all about not being impacted by external judgment. Hmm. And then I entered a field where that appeared to be the order of the day. Yeah. It was an absolute turnoff for me, and I swore I would never run again. How old were you? Uh, 2005. Ooh, how old was I? Maybe early 30s. Okay. Early to mid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I said maybe 34, I think. You know, so when I, when I think back to that time, you know, the absolute benefit I had was when I took a job with the state senate in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always give that, uh, that experience credit yeah. for really, really educating me on legislative government. You know, um, I still had no interest in running, though. You know, when people asked me in 2011, I said, no, 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 no. But it, it was me giving consideration to the fact that um, there's no better platform for empowerment than government. Yeah. That's what that's what motivated me to run. Yeah, yeah. that's. Uh, I'm going I'm to remember the name of that book and get it later. Shameless plug, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Like I've been so working in with some of the. I, I had never really been interested in local politics up mm-hmm. until the last race for mayor. Okay. And I really only got interested in that because at the time Andrew Maxwell had announced his candidacy. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I had never met him before. Had no idea who he was. Yeah. But a lot of people that I was friends with on Facebook were talking about how big of a deal that was. So. Yeah. I reached out to him and and met him for coffee at Kubal and just sat and chatted with him. At the time, we just we didn't have any of this. We were just doing blogs for Eat yeah. Local. Okay. And I thought, well, that'd be cool to go to dinner with uh, as many of the candidates as I could and maybe put some blogs out about them. Yeah. And, um, and so I went out to dinner with, uh, with you know, now Mayor Walsh, Marty Masterpole, um, uh, Chris Fowler was the other one. Yep, yep. And, um, and that was just something that really threw me into getting interested in local politics. Yeah. Um, being involved with it now and like the little work that we've done with some campaigns for the county side 
um, it's really interesting to see the different reasonings that people have and why they run, yep. why they get involved with it in the beginning. Yep. Um, and Mayor Mark Olson, is, is, uh, who's the current mayor of Fayetteville, has kind of said something similar to what you're saying. It's yeah, like yeah. he wants to be able to be a change in the community, um, you know, help people in the community, you know, in the village of Fayetteville, and then, you know, now bring that onto the county. But um, I've thought about that a lot because, like, being involved, I'm like, you know, I wonder if one day I'd be interested in, in running for politics. Yeah, why not? And I'm going to tell you right now why I'm never going to do that. Because <laughs> uh, I've never once had that same thought of, like, and, and me driving around from meeting to meeting thinking, I wonder if I'd be interested in politics to run for some office. I've never once thought, how could I help the people in that community? <laughs> I've just thought, I wonder if that'd be interesting. All right, right, right. So, I got you. hold me to that if you ever see me <laughs> you got it. announce for anything. You got it. Yeah, you got to call me up and say. <laughs> so, you were just endorsed by uh, Governor Kathy. How big of a deal was that? It's a very big deal, you know, to have uh, state party leadership. Uh, you know, endorse and, and, you know, to try to galvanize, you know, and energize the Democratic base, but voters in general, because I believe she has support across the aisle as well. Yeah. Um, but really to create some excitement around the election. Yeah. You know, we talk about the value and the importance of local elections. It's still not resonating to the level that many of us would like, because obviously, you know, if it did, you know, yeah. the ceiling would be popping off of this place right now. <laughs> Uh, but we still we still push for it nevertheless. So it's very important uh, to excite and energize people. Yeah. Uh, I think demonstrates uh, a relationship. Yeah. You know, of course, and, and the ability to have access to the governor and you know ask for and or attract those those additional resources we need. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of person. Yeah. So I believe we have to make our best. Uh, put our best foot forward with what we have first, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, and in that same vein, say, all right, look what we've done, you know, in order for us to continue. Yeah, we need we need a little little boost. You yeah, know, we'll be all right. And so that's always been my my position. I've campaigned on that the entire time I've run. Yeah, and I'll say this, my, you know, my platform has never changed. Yeah, it's been the same since I first run for office. Mm. You know, empowering families, stabilizing homes, unemployment reduction. It hasn't changed because we haven't succeeded. Right. I don't get how platforms change from one campaign to the next, but you know, mine has been consistent until we get something moving. Uh, that won't change for me. Yeah. You think those are issues that we're ever going to solve, or are we just going to get them like a little bit better than what they were when we started, or is it something that we can really accomplish? We'll get it increasingly better if it's our intent to yeah. do so. Right. Yeah. You'll get out the door if it's your intent to walk that way, but you certainly won't get there thinking about it. Hmm. It's the same thing now when we're looking at the fact that the low hanging fruit that with all due respect, this mayor is trying to chase now, even though we tried to get him to chase it in 2018. You know, unemployment reduction is not a hard thing to do, especially considering entry level employment requires no skill and they're playing a livable wage. Mm-hmm. You can really launch people who are unemployed and chronically unemployed and put a dent in unemployment mm-hmm. at the same time, stabilize their family and improve our tax base performance. Yeah. That's good government, right? When I get up in the morning, what, you know, or the average person gets up in the morning, their family is who they see first, their house is what they see first, their external uh, environment, whether it's clean or it has litter mm-hmm. is what they see first. Dilapidated housing or mm-hmm. not is what they see first. Yeah. And so these are the things that are not just on people's mind, but right. come on, this is, this is what yeah. they're encountering every day. So if mm-hmm. you want to improve the conditions yeah. of people, 
Those are the things you have to be mindful of and touch. And if we can improve those conditions neighborhood by neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know, then we set ourselves on a trajectory that is more respectable yeah. toward long-term sustainability and increasingly improve local financial health. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Yeah. I live on the north side. We live on Hood. And uh, we've been there for five years now. First house ever bought. Um, and um, I don't really like it too much. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, coming downtown, our office is, on, is the, in the Delavan Center, mm -hmm. and I'm downtown a lot, and I'm, I'm always going down Butternut. You know, my wife, whenever we go somewhere, she's always like, don't go down Butternut, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to dinner for our, uh, today is our two-year wedding anniversary, and we went to dinner at St. Urban the other night, and, uh, you know, we're driving, and she's like, yeah, we're going to a nice dinner. Let's go a different way tonight. Let's uh -huh. not go down uh -huh. Butternut. <laughs> yeah. that, one, that section of Butternut's rough, man. It's, it's rough, and, it, and it certainly needs some, some TLC. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, what Michael Green, when he was you know, running, Walking, yeah. you know, he was on Butternut. Yep. And yeah. uh, when I saw that, I was like, what, what the hell are you doing there in Butternut? Get out of there. <laughs> um, but is there is there one area of the city, like one neighborhood, where you you know you'd say if I could just make a change in that one area, is there one area that you'd say? There's multiple. Yeah. For the very reason you talked about, but like, if I could adjust it this way. Yeah. Center city. Yeah. Is where I want to put a lot of TLC, if you will. Uh huh. You know the the neighborhoods surrounding center city. You know the. Houses are performing well, tax base are performing well, mm -hmm. it's aesthetically appealing, yeah. landscaped, and they want that to remain that way undisturbed, mm. understandably. Yeah. And can we improve Center City mm. to have those same type of attractive qualities? Yeah. You know, it, you know, to me is the real goal. So when I think about Butternut, when I think about the South Salina Street corridor, mm. I often use South Salina Street as an example because according to uh, a study by a company called Metro Edge 2005. Mm -hmm. It showed that the area between Taylor, Brighton, Route 81 and Midland, was, it was deemed the South Salina Street trade area, we now call it Sankofa, okay. had a greater concentrated buying power for retail mm. than the total average consumer for the entire city and the county. Wow. So while the total con average consumer in the city spent 82 million a year, mm. That small area of 6,000 some odd people spends 100, was at that time spent 123 million a year. Hmm. Worked, pushed and worked with the administration to do another study on all of the neighborhood business corridors. Yeah. And South Salina Street spending has increased 2 million. So it's over 125 million a year that we, I live in that neighborhood, that wow. we spend outside of the neighborhood for what does not exist on the neighborhood business corridor. Huh. So in the spirit of circulating the dollar, yeah. using South Salina Street as a litmus, you have to put that money into the neighborhood. You have to revitalize Butternut. You have to revitalize Geddes. Yeah. You know, building deters a lot of questionable activity. Right. Right, because you bring in a new type of foot traffic and a new type of energy and you want to kind of disperse that to, to restore some quality of life. There's very practical methods for getting there. Yeah. It's just, but it requires uh, the will right. to go after the type of businesses that, for example, the butternut market would support. Yeah. Not just throwing a business out yeah. there that'll die in six months to a year, right. but something that the people in the area will actually spend their money on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, driving, you know driving down there you know, pretty much every single day, 
um, you know, that butternut section. I mean, you've got, you know, the import store. But other than that, you've got the dollar stores, you know, you've got the Rite Aids, you've got, you know, and, and most of the days you've, it's some, somebody with a tent set up, I don't know what they're yeah, selling. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's cell phones or, or what, you know, right, what it right, is. Right, right. But there's some, you know, there's a, you know, there was a bodega up the street and that burned down a few months ago and yeah, yeah, yeah. a pizza shop. I don't know if it's open because there's always bars. Yeah, there's you a know. number of boarded up places right. over there too, yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, you know, this is another reason why don't ever let me run if I ever announce anything because <laughs> I don't have a vision for that area, you know. I got you. And as a leader, do you, do you have to go into it saying like, you know, listen, I have the vision of what it should look like, what it should feel like and what should exist there or is your... Are you going into it thinking, I just need to find somebody who has the passion for it and help them do it? No, no, no. We have to do it. Yeah. You know? And we have to have the vision of what goes there based on market demands. Yeah. Now, the biggest problem with entrepreneurs who attempt to open businesses along our corridors is that they're selling a product that the market is not looking for mm-hmm. and or the market doesn't support. Yeah. Right? Welcome to the restaurant industry. Right, right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so when you, when you have a product, when you have an understanding, for example, of what butternut demands right then you put that there and the likelihood is the sustainability of that that uh, business is long term this is what you want you you want the business to open and stay open right and provide a service to the surrounding community you have the right type of density in that area but you don't have the walkability you know to support it and so to to kind of bring that attraction while simultaneously improving the housing stock pushing more home ownership yeah. You know, and that kind of thing will resurrect our neighborhoods and, and really store, again, that quality of life that many of us imagine we should right. have, if we, <laughs> yeah. you know, if we haven't experienced it already. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, a, a big challenge for me is trying to get out of my own uh, thinking, you know. It's tough. Yeah. yeah it's tough, you know, <laughs> to not see, right. the, you know, your surroundings. But, you know, when you have, I think, a very practical approach for a proven Mm-hmm. people's condition when you have a sincerity yeah you know i'm not you know i got a lot of big ideas but i don't get creative at the expense of the taxpayer right which i think this administration has done right my issue my interest is long-term job security for people yeah you know uh, you know there's, there's a statement made i won't keep taking shots at the no, administration yeah. but there's a statement they make we're pushing careers not jobs what do you mean? The majority of the population work those very jobs you're trying to downplay. Right. Right? So, you know, people need jobs. Everybody want to achieve a career. Yeah. Right? But to be able to provide for their family and pay their bills and the like, this, this is what people want. Yeah. You know, and so to be able to foster an environment, government doesn't create things magically, of course, but we foster the environment where things could exist. We have to become a lot more business friendly. We have to become a lot more accessible yeah. you know, to both businesses and community groups and the like. We need a lot more organization, but number one on the list is crime reduction. Mm-hmm. You have to have a very practical approach for deterring crime. Yeah. You know, let's take away the will of the individuals to commit crime in the first place. Right. You do that by making them uncomfortable. You know, in Eastwood, uh, really specifically, I mean, you know, during the past two years at our house, um, we've faced three different types of break-in. We had. Uh, one break-in two, uh, some, you know, two summers ago, um, full-on into the house, grabbed about $10,000 worth of stuff and, and took off. Now, that was, now, you know, two of those things were 100% our fault. Uh, you know, we were both gone, no security system, 
our dog was uh, with our grant with our my in laws, uh, so the dog could have him and the uh, the uh, living room window was open, you know, so and both yeah. cars. So it was like it was you know big red flashing yeah, sign like in, hey <laughs> no one's home. Yeah. Um, so that but you know that happened, um, and at the time that happened, uh, you know this is two years ago. So at the time that it happened, mm-hmm. I was out um, on. Skinny Atlas, uh, visiting friends. Um, so I'm 30 minutes away, and my wife was at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and she comes home, and she she gets a, I get a phone call. Hey, were you at the house? Because everything's dumped out upstairs. Like, were you? You know, she's thinking I was in a hurry looking for something. Wow. And I'm like, go get in your car, and I'm exactly. on the phone with 911. And luckily, then um, you know, police showed up um, relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. We have a friend who's a parole officer, and, and she showed up, I think, a little bit before the police did to the scene. But uh, but the police showed up relatively quickly. Yeah. They, you know, sat with my wife, you know, talked to me. You know, everything was cool. Um, nothing ever came of it, unfortunately. Um, that's why, you know, I have homeowner's insurance. But then uh, that next, uh, actually a month later, we had an issue with some neighborhood kids trying to break into the front porch uh, during the day. Mm-hmm. And... Calling the police then, it took about an hour for somebody to show up. Um, you know, same house, same, I'm, you know, I know they don't have a record, a computer system that's saying, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but, and then a few months after that, we had a car break in, you know, stole a bunch of change and some stuff like that. Well, that's the proverbial, they return to the scene. Right. If they succeeded once, why would they not think they could succeed again? Yeah. You know, um, you know, it's unfortunate um, because that's a complaint you hear a lot about uh, response time. Yeah. You know, this uh, structured priority list yeah. leaves a lot of people hanging for hours, if not for a day. Right. You know, uh, so we have to do a lot more to be responsive in that respect. But again, there's many ways to deter that. Yeah. You know, if you got police officers walking the beat. Mm-hmm. And I have some additional ideas, too, that include, like, volunteer neighborhood patrol. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to come where nosy people are walking around the street. Right. You know, with walkie-talkies. I love seeing the downtown committee's security team walking down the street. Retired officers. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 And, you know, we're considering that as well. You know, we obviously going to have to negotiate with the union a bit. But yeah. where we have shortfalls right now and where we don't, may not be able to, you know, put classes on, we may be able to bring in retired officers at just thirty. You're talking about forty thousand dollars cheaper yeah. than a current officer. So yeah. It saves a lot of money, and it, it's a nice uh, filler in the meantime while we're waiting for right. more classes to be put on. Yeah. Uh, but we can't wait. You know, you hear the administration talk about we don't have enough, we don't have enough. Yeah, that's not solving our issue. While you're here talking, somebody's shooting on the other side of town. Yeah. You know, uh, but we have to be able to get police out in the street. We have to build that presence. Yeah. As a deterrent, as a deterrent, many officers believe, and, you know, and I've talked with a lot of retired officers and chiefs, yeah. that this is a model that'll work, especially since some of them used it before. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm looking forward to having that opportunity mm-hmm. should I win on the second. So how do you attract those, like, what do you, I mean, I know talking about retired officers, but so many officers are leaving the city mm-hmm. and going to, you know, sheriff's department or, you know, graduating even to, you know, whatever. Um, these are better opportunities. Well, I'll say what I say, said before with all due respect, this is not a jobs program. Yeah. You know, the county has an annual budget of about $1.24 billion. Our budget is $250 million. 
you're not going to get more money, right? Not without hurting our, our taxpayers. So this has to be a job about passion and interest, right? I'm running yeah. for office not because I like. I've been a counselor for ten years, and it certainly wasn't for the pay, <laughs> right? It's because I have an interest in seeing our city do well. And those are the kind of people we have to attract. And this is why hiring within the city is very important. Yeah. But, you know, how well have we done the job of selling the idea of a viable career as a police officer? Oh, yeah. We haven't. It's the worst know? job. You, one yeah. of the worst jobs you could have right yeah, now. Yeah. You know, but, but, you know, when you think about it, you go to some young people and you say, you know, you can make an excellent, yeah. uh, you know, salary. Your family, you know, it can, can achieve some true sustainability. Your wealth building because you can, like, you know, if you don't yeah. own a home, you can own one, and you can make a contribution in making our streets safe. Like, mm. if there's an, if people really sold the idea of the value of the job, because it's beyond noble yeah. that kind of position. Yeah, a lot more young people would definitely jump on board. Yeah, they don't even know what police officers make. Right, but when you tell them, their eyes perk up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you don't want the money to be the reason. Right. Uh, but you want the commitment, you know, yeah. and, and I think there's a lot of people who are already out here shouting with bullhorns, you know, about community and fairness and the need to clean up. Those are the passionate people who are not being paid right now. Yeah. And they're young. And you can say, hey, would you consider doing this job? Yeah. Because they're not going to chase the money. They'll stay here long term. And so we have to be creative. You talk about being calculated. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Our efforts to hire has to be deliberate. Mm -hmm. Our messaging has to be very deliberate. You know, and our efforts to pull people from within the city, not at the denial of anyone else. Yeah. But to pull people from within the city to kind of build our ranks, not only to improve our, you know, that's a hell of a boost when you have officers living in the city and they're paying taxes and spending here. Yeah. But the hmm. safety. Right. I would love to have a cop as a neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, you want to break in my house. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so there's a lot of value <laughs> for sure. to have a police officers living in the city. We're not going retro. We're not going to tell somebody from Camillus you got to sell your house. No. Right. But for new hires, this, is, this has to be our, our, our intent. You think that'll attract? I mean, I know you're like kind of what you're talking about is that this is more of a long-term play. It's not like, you know, hey, we're going to make this one decision and boom, we've got 100. You're talking about community investment um, and not just the people, but the neighborhoods and the programs as a whole. Uh, but do you think that the requirement for new hires to live downtown or live in city limits is going to attract or detract? When you're talking about people in the city, it will attract. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we have, you have to have operational and long-term goals, right? Yeah. Our operational goals is to put things in place to deter and stamp out crime now. Yeah. We got to reduce the number of shots fired and the number of break-ins and all those things now mm -hmm. while we put in structures for long-term sustainability in our police department, mm -hmm. right? Local hiring is the key to that. If you talk about improving your financial health, you, you need the people, mm -hmm. right? You need people who are working. You need people who are paying their mortgage and paying their rent and or taxes. This is what you need to improve the health of the city. We know that, you know, receiving, for example, $123 million of ARPA money is not going to resurrect our financial health. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to change and make adjustments. I don't believe we've made the best decisions. I'll put that on the administration because the council had different ideas mm -hmm. with the ARPA money because we should have been spending it on things that guaranteed us a return on investment. Mm -hmm. You know, and even where there's equity as a return on investment, there's yeah. still some benefit for people to become strengthened and stabilized as opposed to, with all the respect, using it as your own pork barrel money. Yeah. You know, which is, in my opinion, what's been happening. Mm -hmm. 
I look at like Eastwood has had a, a string of you know um, issues over the past couple weeks. I, I, I forget what that number is. It, it may be 18 businesses, 13 incidents, or something, where it's been anything from breaking windows and grabbing cash registers to just you know vandalism. Um, to the point where now you know local business owners in Eastwood are talking about forming getting together to fund and hiring their own form of security. Yeah, yeah. Is that something that you look at that and you're like, hey, that's the community involvement that I want? Or are you looking at that saying, man, the city's really falling on this one? I'm saying the city's really falling apart. We're approaching uh, uh, the worst kind of lawlessness, you know, when people are even doing those things in the daytime, Mm -hmm. right? You know, things that I say they wouldn't do if a cop was standing there. For sure. You know, and that's the key. I, I promoted this comprehensive police precinct program where, for example, on James Street Eastwood, there will be a police precinct which will reduce the chances of somebody doing that kind of thing. You got cars parked out there and cops walking all around. Nobody's right. doing that. Yeah. You know, but when you complement that with community support, mm. you know, and a community uh, uh, patrol, which increases communication between police and community. And so you're building and cementing relationships. But it's the same police officers every single day. Right. They know you by your first name. You know them by their first name. They know your kids by their first name. And you build this real community cohesion. Mm -hmm. When you throw in there, you know, a couple of retired officers who are acting as peace officers, they don't have the same powers as a sworn officer. But you've now lessened the burden of those two officers in the beat that they walk Mm -hmm. because you now have four plus community eyes on the ground. That's a different environment. It's very uncomfortable for people who might commit wrong acts. Yeah. And they're going to try to find somewhere else to do that. Problem is, we'll be there too. Right. You know, so as much as we can shove them around, I was talking to, I had mentioned this in a debate the other day, talking to a retired detective. You know, and, you know they made the same, but well, we'd rather have them on the move because they're more vulnerable on the move. They can't hide. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and when you're taking away their spaces to congregate, yeah. you take away their security spaces, they don't have anything. They're out here now. Yeah. And they're easier to catch making the wrong move. And, and you know, so, you know, you, you disperse this concentration of negative behavior and that four block radius has peace that it hasn't experienced in a while since that trouble has been there. Yeah. You know, this has to be our approach. Again, I'm talking about very willful intent here to go after the problem, to neutralize it while simultaneously putting other things in place to kind of stabilize it, increase community input and or involvement, you know, build out a very robust neighborhood watch program, lending more support, you know, because you can't have economic development, neighborhood revitalization as long as you have crime. Right. Right. So you got to bring that down in order for neighborhood business corridors to remain attractive. What you don't want is to lose those businesses. Right. You don't want James Street Eastwood is one of the best performing neighborhood business corridors in the city. Yeah. So you don't want to lose that. You got to restore that that security for them. And I think we have a very practical plan for doing that yeah see like when we're talking about community growth and improvement for me to think that there is a person or group of people that's been running facebook ads of mayor walsh with the silhouette of pinocchio behind him talking about the columbus statue whatever is true um i'm just like wait somebody lives in syracuse that's has money to do that (laughs) and i'm often commenting on those things i'm like who like you know, I, I'll troll people from now, from time to time to time. So I'm like, who is the idiot? I'll comment on their group. Who is the idiot that's running this? I really <laughs> want to know who the moron is who spent, like, 
I'm, we're a marketing agency. I know yeah, how much yeah, Facebook, yeah. you know. Yeah. If I'm seeing it and has that many likes, I know how much money they're spending on those that's, Facebook that's ads. Right. I'm like, who's spending thousands of dollars to run that? Right, right. You know, whether you agree with what he's, you know, his proposal, whatever. That's another, you know, why that, you know. So, so I'm trying, I know those votes aren't going to Mayor Walsh. I don't know where they're going, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few signs, a few yards where it's the Columbus sign and then your sign. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've heard about that. Yeah, so yeah. I'm interested to see. I think that could be a big portion of... Uh, not a big portion. That could be that could be a significant portion. I, you know, I'm hearing a lot. I take everything with a grain of salt. You know, because uh, nothing means anything until election right. night is over. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not. You know, you saw in the primary when I won. Yeah. I was trying to find out where my excitement was. Right. I don't really respond emotionally to a lot. I'm very practical, <laughs> and I said to them that night, even though they didn't run it. Well, this one was good, but November 2nd is what matters. <laughs> you know, so I'm not here to make a statement. Right. You know, you're the first black or you're the first, you know, vote yeah. for me on the merits. Right, you exactly. Know, I, I can appreciate the historical significance. Yeah. But my catalog of work has value. Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm running on. And so, you know, and even the fact that we've, I, I mentioned before, as legislators and as the, this is what's funny. They kept talking about policy. Where's your policy? We don't know if he has a policy. We're policy makers. Mm-hmm. The policy power lies with the legislature, not the administration. Right. He doesn't have that power. Yeah. So how can you question a 10-year policy veteran <laughs> who's written the most legislation in the last 25 years, according to our city clerk, about policy? Yeah. There's something wrong with that, that right. argument there. And this is why I wouldn't give him the time of day. Yeah. Well, you haven't presented a paper. I said, well, who said I had to? Who yeah. made that rule up? <laughs> right? You know, if you want to look up. You know, and so yeah. when, and, but, but when I think of the legislation we've written, which is the tools we give the administration to be effective. Yeah. Let me speak specifically about the warrants for inspection for absentee landlords and the creation of the Board of Administrative Adjudication to deal with housing violations, neither of which you used. Yeah. And so Skyline happens, Ballantyne happened, and all the other in-betweens that nobody know about that we hear about all the time because we have constituents crying on the phone yeah. because their house is exposed to the elements and the landlord is threatened retaliation. This is the kind of negligence yeah. that people have not experienced. This is not on TV. Right. And so when you have, how is it that the majority of the council is dissatisfied with this administration? Yeah. That is not by mistake. Hmm. You know, and when you had Stephanie there, you know, people liked her. I yeah. respected Stephanie because she wasn't no punk. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah. you know, you ain't, she's the first woman mayor. And some things I thought were a bit chauvinist on the part of some. And she stood her ground. That's why I, I'm like, I like her. She ain't scared of nobody. Yeah. Right? You know, now, whether they say she did good or not, you know, but she just, she wasn't bending because people wanted her to. Yeah. Quite the contrast now. You know, where no decision is made out of fear of what the repercussion would be. Right. And always coalescing a group so you never hold the bag by yourself. There's a reason why the council stopped standing with the mayor at press conferences because we caught on to that. Mm. We did this. No, 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 no. You did that. We're not mm. coming to stand with you no more to share in those burdens. So we pulled back in year one. Mm. One, thing, one thing that I talked to Mayor Walsh about when I had dinner with him four years ago was at the time, the thing that I didn't like about, and I wasn't as ingrained as I am today, but when, when uh, Mayor Minor was in charge. But one thing that I didn't like about Mayor Minor, from what I remember seeing, was it felt like she, and you know, here I am 
you know, doing the same thing. I just criticize the Columbus statue people for it. But, um, and the optics, it seemed like she was kind of going after attention with some of her stuff. And I remember um, I didn't like that as a city resident. And so I talked to, I mentioned that to Mayor Walsh. Like, are you, I asked him, are you running today for, you know, mayor of Syracuse? So that way, you know, it's your platform to get to whatever down right, the road. Right. And, you know, his response, which I loved, was, listen, it's not. As the mayor of Syracuse, you know, as any mayor, my job is to make sure trash is picked up, police are on the streets, fires show up on time. And I really appreciated that because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you're getting back to exactly what the role is supposed to do. Right. That's right. I love hearing you talk about, hearing you talk about um, your vision for Syracuse community growth, making these long-term investments in the community you know, getting people that are making long-term investments yeah. and people that have skin in the game. Yep. Reminds me of when I first started, you know, first moved back to Syracuse six years ago mm-hmm. and believe in Syracuse was in its heyday. Yeah, yeah. You know, people were, and not just there's plenty of others, but people were passionate about Syracuse, passionate about getting people to stay in Syracuse, come back to Syracuse, graduates from, you know, to not leave and run off to other parts of the country. Uh, there was a passion for the city that I don't know that I really feel right now. No, it's it's not. And I want to, you know, I want to, uh, if I can go back to something yeah. you mentioned before. You talked about uh, that there's, you know, in terms of race, there's no real contention. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you, you know, and you use, you know, the the previous race as an example. It's it's really it's tough to have contention with somebody you don't dislike. Yeah. Right. One of the things I talked, <laughs> I mentioned off camera, and both. You know, Mayor Walsh and candidate Berman agreed. I said, you know, you wish people would know that we are not enemies. Yeah. You know, because it can look that way sometimes. But the one thing that hasn't happened, which I can appreciate, I'm not, I'm never going to attack them personally as people. Yeah. I'll talk about their performance or lack of performance just on their their work. But I'll never punch him or mention his family. I'm never going to do that. It's disrespectful. And for, you know, even though they mentioned my, you know, my family in the newspaper, you know, (laughs) I don't think it's been reciprocated, but I just won't do that. Right. You know, and it's because I don't have a dislike for him or for Janet Berman. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, you you stick to the issues. And so it doesn't get as personal. So you don't see as much of the fire like you saw before. And and I don't don't think it'll get there. We only got one more uh, media debate coming up. Oh, really? Yeah, Spectrum on, on Tuesday, tomorrow. Okay. And that's it, you know, and then it's just work, you know. So hopefully it remains that way until the second, yeah. you know. Uh, but I just can't, I'm not, I can't say out of one side of my mouth I'm pro-empowerment. Right. And then pull the carpet from <laughs> under you for my own gain at the same time. That's just something I won't do. Well, I think the important part in that is that you can do that. It's just that you've chosen not yeah, to. That's chose, more yeah. important. <laughs> for, for my principle, I won't, I can't do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. You know, if you're the candidate that I'm running against, I don't want the job that bad that I hurt on your family. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not gonna do that, man. I mean, I can't like being involved in the tiny, tiny, tiny way that I am now with, uh, with local politics. Um, the tension I like the person that I'm working with, the candidate that's running against them, is that way, constantly attacking. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the tension I feel when I'm there taking pictures of, you know, the person I'm working for, I mean, I'm like, so I couldn't imagine being the candidate that's attacking somebody. And I mean, at the end of the day, you want to be able to see them at, you know, yeah. I used to work in sales and 
I used to tell people all the time, I have to be able to see the customer at Wegmans and not have to look, act like I'm looking at a can of beans to avoid them. Well, let me make it even more personal. <laughs> My kids and Ben Walsh kids attend the same school. Oh, really? And our daughters FaceTime. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can't do that, right? So, you know, it, you know, I believe his daughter is going to be at my daughter's birthday party on November 16th, the That's weekend wild. of the 16th. So yeah. I can't do, you understand? Yeah. Like, there, there's a certain amount of responsibility, you know, in, in terms of what you could potentially do in terms of creating injury for his family. I, I can't do that. Yeah. So if we're not arguing about the work, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. So. Uh, Interesting discussion between the daughters, I'm sure. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Are they young? <laughs> yeah, they're uh, probably both 10 and 11. Okay. My, da- my daughter's 10. I'm assuming that Bre- Lena's, his daughter's Bre- That's probably That's old enough to know too. what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, I think they probably talk about it. Oh, really? They, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Um, all right, so you're elected, all right? Yep. Uh, Khalid Bay, mayor of the city of Syracuse, and day one, you can snap your fingers to change one thing. What, it, like... You don't have to worry about votes in the council or anything like that. You can change one thing. What is it? You know, I'm not a pie in the sky guy. Right. If I could change one thing, shots fired would disappear. Yeah. 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 You know, a 22 bullet can travel a mile and a half uninhibited. Hmm. That's a 22. Imagine they're not shooting 22s out there. Hmm. You know. I remember I asked a, a retired detective, what's the chances that some of the unsolved porch murders is a result of a long traveling bullet? Mm. And maybe that's why you haven't found anybody. You know, I have a bullet hole in the front of my house that I acquired last year. Mm. You know, um, and I was standing with a counselor, uh, Counselor Allen, who's coming here for lunch at 11, and, uh, you know, county, county, and a county legislator, and she was standing there in my driveway like, hey, is that a bullet hole in your house? Mm. I thought it was a bug. But I go, look, and certainly it was a bullet hole. Wow. And I went and checked the other side. Fortunately, it only made a small dent before a ricochet, so I called the cops. And they said the same thing I said. This thing came from far away. Wow. Because it stopped here. Huh. You know? But how did it get through all of the yeah. trees and the buildings? You know, that's a frightening idea that even, and this is what I mean about the danger, you can simply be walking. Yeah. And you can get picked off by something that came from blocks, blocks away. Yeah. You know, um, so to, if I could snap a finger to, a, to change anything, that would stop hmm. in the next second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a story I've seen shared a bunch on social over the past couple of days, and I think it's Lafayette, Louisiana, um, you know, school district. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Group of dads who... I shared that with the superintendent. Oh, really? So I text the superintendent and say, hey... You know, we appear to have gotten Henniger under control, but, yeah. you know, there's been issues in other schools, too. Yeah. And even outside the city, I said, we need to consider this approach because it's true. Right. If I show, you know, my son's not going to do that. He knows better because then he's got to see me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but most kids are like that. Yeah. This idea that kids, that parents are afraid of kids is less true than it is true. <laughs> Yeah. Certainly, you know, with right. all due respect in my community. Yeah. And if the fathers show up to the schools, you better believe those sons are going to sit down and do their schoolwork. Oh, yeah. You know, so that, I mean, I thought, I thought it was genius. Yeah. You know, and I sent it to him, and he said, you know, they're going to share it and figure out if they can do it. Great idea. Yeah. Great idea. I think that, you know, I think in, um, in, in my community of... Uh, 
because uh, believe it or not, this is a community, uh, food Instagrammers, restaurant, restaurant community. promoters. That's right, that's right. Uh, this is the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've felt really, um, uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of a jerk. And so uh, <laughs> when I see, so, you know, we've been doing this for five years now, uh, and just uh, September 1st went out, and now this is my full-time gig, right? Right, right. And, um, but... Over those five years, I've seen, you know, 50 people start an Instagram account, you know, Upstate This, Syracuse Food, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a number of them, especially in the beginning, they're running out trying to make, you know, which they should, you know, right? It's, you know, free market. Everybody mm -hmm. should be following their dreams and making money um, uh, as best they can. But they're all hitting up restaurants, free this, pay me for that, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. There's only like two or three of them of us that have stuck around mm -hmm. for longer than a year. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know, we start, I started Eat Local because we met a restaurant owner who, you know, kind of like the typical um, story of friends said she made the best whatever, insert there. Um, you know, you got to start your own restaurant, you'd kill it, you know, yeah, you'd yeah, make yeah. so much money. Uh, so she quit her branch manager job at a bank, mortgaged her house. Uh, knew how to make the best X, did a really good job with it, but that's where her experience and understanding for restaurant industry start and stopped. And so she got a restaurant in a terrible location, mm. had a terrible name, terrible logo, bad <laughs> menu, didn't know how to buy food. I mean, yeah. the whole nine and, you know, a year later was closed up and out of business. And um, by the time I met with her, she had just spent her last thousand dollars on advertising that never would have worked, mm. um, and it didn't. And so, you know, that's that was like the reasoning in starting Eat Local in the first place was I grew up in the restaurant industry with my parents, and so I was like, and I, when I met her, I was like, well, maybe I could start something where one day I could make a post or put out a video or a pic or whatever. I could get a hundred people to show up at a restaurant if I told them to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and make a difference in that. And, Absolutely. And so I'm thrilled that we're doing that. And there's still a couple that are, you know, there's the Syracuse Eating Club, and she's doing a great job, and uh, CMY Fry Guy and Coast to Coast, and, and they're doing a great job. They've been doing it for a while. They make a post that helps a local business. It's nice. great. Nice. But a lot of them end after a few months or a yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, me having that, you know, me having that mindset of it, it takes time. Like, it's I know I'm talking about posting about restaurants and you know what a luxury on Instagram, but it takes time to invest in a community that you want to make a change in. That's, that's right. And what I get from all of this and talking to you is that that's going to be the focus of what maybe is your time as mayor is. Yeah. Developing those long-term investments and strengthening that in our community. If if I can succeed and I believe we can win this year intent, I think you can move fairly rapidly. Not in any way that is destructive, but fairly rapidly. Uh, and if I had it my way, by the time my initial four years were up, the neighborhood business corridors would already be buzzing because we would have gone on offense and attracted those necessary businesses. You look at the South Carolina Street corridor, for example, that I mentioned, that even with the Kentucky Fried Chicken there and Burger King at the other end and Burger King at a far end, yeah. the market between Taylor and Brighton 
still has about a $1.7, $1.6 million demand for a food eatery. Hmm. It's not being served. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about me. I don't eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm a vegetarian, <laughs> right? You know, so the fact that somebody locally has a potential opportunity to open a spot there yeah. where the demand for food exists, but the food is not being provided, right. you could change the entire trajectory of a family, yeah. you know, with that kind of opportunity. I had mentioned before, you know, when we were asked questions about what do you do to support small business? Well, first, help you understand what the market would support so you don't fail. And second, we're here in Stronghearts. Right, that's right. <laughs> hey, you know, and, and you, you know, I mentioned two local things, right? My two favorite places here yeah. in Cafe Cabal. Yeah. You know, uh, I like, you know, I don't have to have a part of Matt's dollar or a part right. of their dollar to yeah. enjoy their, their successes. You know, and, and I think this is kind of the mindset of many. This is where we want to go. It's where, it's where you are. I think yeah. your show is excellent, by the way. Thank you. Um, but in, in, in even, you know, if we succeed in this election. Yeah. I would, I would love for you guys to kind of follow, you know, what's going to be my effort to attract that food eating me on the yeah. Salinas Street corridor that I think will eventually do very well. Well, I will uh, say, I will say this, and I just because I know we're we got about eight minutes, and so there's one thing um, that I'm going to def I'm going to plan on bringing up tomorrow night with Mayor Walsh, and I want to ask you about, and okay. that is the tra- the construction in downtown Syracuse. <laughs> I mean, besides just being the you know like. The privileged dude that's driving around that's five minutes late for my meeting, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever, complaining about it on Facebook. Um, which, uh, one of my favorite lines in any song is, um, uh, oh, shoot, what's the name of the song? Uh, Chance the Rapper and Daniel Caesar performed it on, I listened to it, like, maybe twice a week uh-huh. uh, on Late Night and <laughs> uh, with Third Story singing backup. But anyways, you know, he was talking about, like, um, uh, send my tweet, you know, fold my arms, I'm done, right? <laughs> and uh, and that's kind of how I feel talking about you. I feel convicted about a lot of my complaints over the last <laughs> two years. Um, but the construction downtown has been a nightmare over the past Absolutely. few months. Yep. And aside from me being a few minutes late to my meeting, we have restaurants like the Brinewell Eatery that just closed just, up shop. Yeah, I just saw the owner the other day. Yep. And, you know, Devin's a great guy, you know, one business, you know, nobody else doing that, what he's doing. Yep. Um, Jefferson, you know, arguably not a great location. Yep. There's been so many restaurants that in that well, location. Right, right. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and it, you'd think it would be good, you know, because you've got, you know, the courthouse and everything there, and you've got common space and mm-hmm. all these businesses in that little area. You'd think you'd get a lot of attraction, but it just didn't. And, and the sad part is if he was two blocks over towards Armory, he probably would have done a lot better. But... He says in his interview with the Post Standard that the thing that was the nail in the coffin was the, was was the construction. construction. Even his last day open for business, the road was shut down and people, vehicles couldn't get down to him. So my thinking is this, <laughs> my thought is this, is what, had, what was done from the city's standpoint to reach out to businesses before construction to say, hey, listen, this week, this road's going to be shut down. I'm sure there was some sort of notice, but a plan in place to help them maneuver around that. And how much larger of an impact is I-81 construction going to have on these businesses? And what can the mayor of the city of Syracuse do to help these businesses? So I'll say first, uh, 100% of that responsibility falls on the administration. 
you know, I made a statement in a, in a debate before, and he'll, he'll argue against this tomorrow, uh, that this was a political ploy. Most of that downtown construction was likely approved when Stephanie was still in office. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes that long to get to it. But oh, yeah. to pause and not do it in 1819 and to save it, let's consider the fact that even while we were quarantined during COVID, construction season did not stop. Why not while we're all locked away and there's no traffic do this kind of construction? He's going to argue that it wasn't a political ploy to demonstrate work, but I beg to differ. And so you've ultimately landlocked everybody. And nobody can do any work. Everything is disturbed down there. And you did it all at once. You know, naturally, the process should have been more coordinated, where if you do shut down a street or, or two, that you create alternative routes for businesses. This is key to ensure, like, uh, you know, when, when Walton Street was closed down temporarily, me and Councilor Allen was walking through there, and I called the mayor right from there. I said, you know, imagine if this was called the quad. And maybe you talk to the businesses about the idea of permanently taking that way. It increases the attractiveness and people may be attracted there. But the key is to know, for example, at Design Warehouse, that their traffic is disturbed. Mm. So how do you ensure that their traffic flow remains the same if they agree to do this kind of change? And so that kind of communication is what's required to determine if your idea can work or not first. You know, if they like it, if they don't like it, then you got to do something else. All right. But if, if it can work and if the businesses support it, you know, right, we have just as many corporate citizens as we have natural. Right. And if they can support it, then we make the adjustments according to the dialogue we have with them to ensure that their traffic patterns are not disturbed. Traffic is the bloodline of any economy. Yeah. When it's congested or disturbed, people lose business. Yeah. You know, and this administration should have known that. And instead of turning it into a political football, you know, he'll still say, you know, you can't go anywhere downtown and not see that we're working. Yeah, you're working, but everybody <laughs> else is losing. So it, it was really just a, a bad decision. Nice, nice, with all the respect, publicity stunt, but it backfired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Counselor, thank you so much. I really can't uh, say how much I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Absolutely. And uh, oh, yeah, my wife wanted me to ask you this question. Okay. Uh, so why are you a vegetarian? <laughs> uh Ha, check this out. So I'm a vegetarian for health reasons. Okay. Right? Longevity is my interest. Yeah. You know, and I remember, you know, when I first was considering it for years, mm. this is a true story, and I'll make this quick. Yeah. And, it, you know, where Blue Star gas station is on MLK in Salina, it used to be Sitco. Yeah. And they used to sell the best sweet and sour chicken wings. Huh. So I go there and I buy 30 drumstick wings. I always got the drumsticks. Yeah. And I'm sitting in front of the TV and 2020 comes on. And what do you think they're talking about? <laughs> chickens. So while they're talking about chickens flopping in their own yeah. stuff, right. and the bacteria. Yeah. I bite the first drumstick. I excuse the graphic <laughs> and the vein falls oh. on my lip. I threw the entire box away and never touched chicken or turkey again. Uh, and, and beef happened the same way. Yeah. Matter of fact, let me go back because the chicken thing happened after the beef. Hmm. Beef was first. You know, I stopped eating pork years ago. Yeah. You know, but beef was first because it was 2020 again hmm. on how the cow, yeah. you know, I don't know, I'm going right. what they say, poison its own system under yeah. stress. So I had stopped eating beef first yeah. as a result of 2020. Huh. And then a year later, 2020 presented the chicken. <laughs> so 2020 has been my friend. Yeah. You know, it helped, That's wild. It helped force me to make decisions yeah. when I wasn't ready to make them. But I've been huh. a vegetarian now for 27 years. Wow. 
Yeah. 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 No seafood, no nothing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We had, uh, I can tell you this now because um, I got rid of the chickens. I live in the city limits and we had backyard chickens. <laughs> um, which I will say, there's no clear rule on that. Some people said, some in, in city office said yes, some said no, whatever. We had, <laughs> we had 10 backyard chickens. Uh, that was my COVID thing that I did. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the world was going to end. I needed to have my food supply. We finally got rid of them after about a year and a half and gave them to a friend who has a farm in in Central Square. But having those, we wound up having seven, you know, a few died when they were young, as they do. But having those seven chickens, it was like I told Joel and Nick because I had them on the podcast. And the more and more I'm connected to like that, I can more and more understand veganism and being a vegetarian the more that you're connected to animals so yeah Yeah. if i can add one more thing this is relative to a statement made about the incumbent mayor and i've made this clear from the time i announced talking with terry reaver from syracuse.com yeah this is the last seat i'm running for yeah i'm not looking for a long-term career i'm not going to albany or dc yeah if i don't win i'm going home yeah you know otherwise i'll be here and i'll work hard for the people you know and so, you know, and, and I think it's a fair question when you talk about people's ambition. Yeah. That should be taken into account. Yeah. Right? It doesn't take over a million dollars to run a campaign here. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to knock the ability to raise money. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't take that much and money doesn't vote. Right. You know, and I'll stay consistent with that argument every time. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Counselor, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you. it. I appreciate it, man. Good, Good luck to see next you. week. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Eat Local New York podcast. Make sure that you head online to find us at eatlocalnewyork.com and uh, learn more about what we do and how you can become a fan of ours. You can follow us and find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. That's where we post the most. We're on TikTok. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. Go subscribe to our channel. And most importantly, get out there and vote. Thanks so much. We're going to catch you tomorrow on episode two of Dinner with the Candidates, Eat Local New York podcast edition.